continuing in our message series, Christmas Presents, God with us. And, and if you weren't here last week, that's okay. Uh, I'll give you kind of a synopsis of what we talked about. We began our message, uh, Christmas Presents, God with us. I started by unpacking Matthew's telling of Jesus's beginning, his, his birth story. And, and it starts messy, it doesn't start glamorous. It doesn't start um, in, a, in the castle or in the palace. It starts messy. It starts with a young couple betrothed to be married. And, and Joseph, um, the, the husband who's a part of the betrothal, his wife Mary is found to be pregnant. And so Joseph thinks, I'm just going to walk away from this marriage. I'm going to wash my hands. It's obvious that Mary doesn't love me. And Matthew's telling of the birth story from the perspective of Mary and Joseph was his way of leading the readers back to a prophecy, back to a scripture that had been written, back to a promise that had been given to the people of Israel. A prophecy which Mary and Joseph were living out. And how many know, it's nice to be able to tell the story once you've been through the storm. Even we were talking to Lydia this morning and she had a fun day uh, writing her exam on Wednesday, was it? Friday. And, uh, and I, was, I was laughing with her, okay? <laughs> Let me make that distinction as she told the story. And she's like, it's okay, I can laugh about it now. But in the middle of it, it wasn't so funny. You should ask her about it. It is funny. But I thought, man, that's Mary and Joseph. They can look back at the story and think, wow, look at what we were a part of. But in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the story, it wasn't so fun. And, and maybe you find yourself in a similar situation. Maybe your story right now, in this moment, isn't very fun. But can I tell you, if you hear nothing else, can I tell you that if you give your story to God, it doesn't matter how messy it is, he can redeem it. Come on, somebody. No matter what you're going through, if you stick with it, if you give it to God, if you push into God, he will redeem it to the point where, where a couple years from now, you'll be like, man, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was the worst thing, but God is using my story. God has redeemed my story. Here's what I'm confident of. People give up too early because the storm is too hard. And you never see the sunshine. But if you don't stop moving, if you don't, if you don't quit, you win. That's the story of the gospel. If we don't quit, we win. That's not in my notes. Keep, keep to the notes, Steve. So this is a prophecy that Mary and Joseph are living out. And just as Matthew, he, he kind of buries the lead of the significance of Isaiah's proper prophecy being its full fulfilled in its completion. He buried that kind of in the background of Mary and Joseph's story. And then he says, all this took place in order for this to be fulfilled. I did a similar thing last week. I 
I buried the importance of what's happening in Matthew, I mean in Mary's and Joseph's story. Really, I stopped short of the good stuff last week. And this morning, we're actually going to look at the significance of the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but you don't need to read too much scripture before you start to see that God has many names, that God is referred to in, in so many different ways. You're like, okay, what is his name? What, who, what am I supposed to call this God? And, and I want to be very clear. We serve one God who has many names. But it's so significant. And, and when I started to think about why does God have many names? What's the importance of that? I realized that a name is what we associate with a person's character. That's who they are. That's, that's who they've shown themselves to be. And, and I thought about all of you. Every person in this room has a first and a last name. Unless there's a Cher or a prince in the room that I'm unaware of. All of us have a first and a last name. And some of us have middle names. Some of us have five middle names. Um, but we all have. And, and then I thought about even that. Even though we all have a first and last and sometimes middle name. There are other names that you have that aren't your name. Some people call you grandpa or uncle or father. Some people call you Taminator. That's what I call Sarah's aunt. Actually, I, I am a nickname giver, okay? So her name is actually Tammy. But if you've played a sport against her, you know she's the Taminator. I call her Tam Tam. I call, I call her daughter Jenna, Janita, uh, J-Town, J-Train. Like I just, I just call them whatever name pops into my head. I am a nickname giver. And I thought about that. It reveals something about who they are. And you may be surprised to know this, but my birth certificate does not say Pastor Stephen. I know you're surprised. You may also be surprised to know that my kids do not call me Pastor Stephen. It's usually Mr. Awesome. <laughs> Mr. Good Looking. <laughs> Mr. ATM. <laughs> the last one's probably the most honest. <laughs> but all of those names reveal who I am to them in that moment of time. It refers to who they see me as. And it's the same with God. Whenever we see a name of God, it's about who he's revealed himself to be in that moment. Just like I don't change who I am when they call me by a different name. I love this. There's this viral video going around right now and it's, a lot of moms are filming themselves and they're like in their car and they're kind of emotional and they're like, no one, no one, no one told me, no one prepared me for this. How I would go from 
mama, to mummy, to mum, to brah. If you have, if you have boys, you've probably been called brah. And if not, ladies, it's coming, okay? <laughs> I've also noticed that um, in sports, when you're great at them, or any, any really event, you receive a nickname. So when I say the great one in Canada, who do you think of? Gretzky. When I say his airness, who do you think of? Michael Jordan. When I say Mr. Awesome, <laughs> see, names are gift given in a reference of who we are. And the same is true for God. So when he reveals himself as Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. We realize that when God provides, in a season of our life when we need peace, and God provides peace, we recognize him as Jehovah Jireh, God will meet my need. Sometimes it's financial, and and in the middle of it, when we receive a financial blessing, we say, God is revealing himself as Jehovah Jireh. Or if we're in a season where we need healing in our body, we get to know him as Jehovah Raphra, the God that heals. And, and so when, when it comes to God and his names, it's very important and very significant for us to understand who he is showing himself to be in that moment. And so when we go back to Matthew 1, 22 and 23, and we read, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we have to understand that God is revealing something about himself and about his nature in this Name. In his name. So here's the implication of that prophecy. That God would dwell among us. No longer would would we experience him from afar. Or from the perspective of history. And and culturally, no longer would they only experience God in the holy of holies, in the temple, in the specific room, you would experience the presence of God. God is saying, no, 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 no. You're going to experience me in a whole new way. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be close. There's going to be a new level of intimacy. And when Jesus is born, that's exactly what happens. The Passion Translation reads it like this. I love this. Listen, a virgin will be pregnant and she will give birth to a son and he will be known as Emmanuel, which means in Hebrew, God became one of us. God became 
one of us. Jesus coming as Emmanuel was about being known and being close. How many know that you can know somebody and not be close to them? So when I say his heirness and everybody says Michael Jordan, we all know Michael Jordan, but I bet not one of us could tell us the street he grew up on, his mom and dad's name. If you're a fan fanatic, you might be able to have some of those details. That's why I didn't use Gretzky because we're Canadian. We might have some more details about Gretzky. Emmanuel is about knowing and being close. John wrote it this way, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I love the way Eugene Peterson's translation puts it in the message, that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. There is a closeness to God that we now experience that wasn't available in a certain period of time in history. The Israelites don't know God like we know God. They don't experience Jesus like we experience Jesus. And so when Matthew is writing this to the people who are waiting for God to reveal himself as Emmanuel, he's writing to people who have no idea what this looks like. But they understand the importance of his name. They understand the importance of God revealing himself as Emmanuel, God with us. And using Eugene's translation, I I want you to notice that, that he doesn't just move into the rich neighborhood. He doesn't move into the popular neighborhood or or the palace or the people who've got it all together. No, no. Jesus moves in to Israel when they're being oppressed by the Roman Empire. When they have no voice of their own, that's when Jesus comes to them. In the midst of the brokenness, that's the neighborhood that Jesus moves into when they're desperate and in despair. He moved into my life in that moment too. When I was at my most vulnerable and my most broken and my most, most distraught, that's when I discovered my neighbor had been there the whole time. Maybe for you, Jesus showed up when you thought you needed him the least. Financially, you were doing well. Marriage was going well. Life was all uh, hitting on all cylinders. And yet you still felt there was more. Life was still lacking something. And, and when you looked at your life and you, you looked at all the material blessings that you had and you still thought, this isn't enough. What's missing? The beauty of Emmanuel, God with us, is that he is with us no matter where we might find ourselves. In Matthew's timeline, Emmanuel comes at a time of oppression. Herod is referred to as king of the Jews in Jesus' time. 
That's his moniker. That's his title. But he doesn't earn it because he's actually the king of the Jews. He's earned it because he's conquered them. And Jesus moves into history where a man like Herod can slaughter all the infant boys under the age of two without any fear of revolt or backlash. See, Emmanuel, God with us, comes in a point of history when God has been silenced for 400 years. Where they haven't had no fresh bread, no fresh revelation from God, no no fresh move, no fresh prophecy. That's when God comes and dwells among them. When they're empty. And the significance for us today is that God isn't needing you or I to clean ourselves up in order to dwell with us. He isn't saying, hey, before you come into a church, you have to check a few boxes. You have to stop that. You have to start this. You have to cut those people out. No, no, no. God came to be with us in the mess, in the muck, in the mire. That's where he meets us. God isn't looking at our messy life or our sinful behavior or our brokenness and thinking, oh man, if only they would get it together, then I would come and and have life with them. I would argue that Emmanuel reveals the exact opposite. He is drawn to us. Because he knows that if we do life alongside Jesus, submitting our ways to his, we would live the life that he desires for us to live. John 10.10 says, that's why Jesus came. That's why Emmanuel came. It says this, that, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Emmanuel means that we have a God who understands. A God who has walked in our shoes, who has felt the pain that we feel. More to the point, for we have a high priest who, is, who, who isn't unable to sympathize with our weakness. Excuse me, that might be a typo there. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Emmanuel means, God with us means that Jesus, being fully God and fully human, bridged the gap that sin created. The gap between creator and creation. Between sinless and sinful. Between God and and man. And I, can I remind you this morning that this is unique to Christianity? There's many religions out in the world, but this is the only religion, this is the only God who descended into the brokenness of wayward people and ransomed them, paid for their sins. The only one that he would walk in our place. No other religion has a God who willingly suffers for the people. A God that can so deeply and compassionately understand his creation like Emmanuel understands you and I. 
Emmanuel isn't about a God, isn't just about a God who is with us. There's no other name given in, in Matthew's text. Excuse me. There's another name given in Matthew's text that takes Emmanuel a step further. And that's the name that's above all other names. The name of Jesus Christ. And Matthew tells us that he will save his people from their sins. You see, Emmanuel didn't just come to walk with us. He came to help us walk. Come on, somebody. He came to help us take the mess of our lives and turn it into a message of hope, a message of truth, a message of triumph. I love the way Philip Yancey summarizes Emmanuel, God with us. This is what he says. For whatever reason... God has chosen to respond to the human predicament not by waving a magic wand to make evil and suffering disappear, but by absorbing it in a person. In the face of suffering, words would not suffice. We needed something more. The Word made flesh. Actually living proof that God has not abandoned us. That's what Emmanuel means. That's what God wants us to understand from this portion of Scripture. That he has taken it upon himself. See, I, I was thinking about this, and, and as a pastor, I am often invited into people's pain. When they're going through something that's outside of their control, that they have no answers for, they say, hey, pastor, could you come and meet with us? And I have learned they don't want my advice. They don't want me to tell them the truth. They don't want me to spout off facts or statistics. They simply want me to sit in their pain with them with a little bit of encouragement. That's what Emmanuel does. He comes and he sits in our pain with us. And he lavishes hope upon us. That's what I do as a pastor. I go into a hospital room and I'm like, Jesus, I am unqualified for this. And then I'm like, help me with something for them in this moment. And I'll read a passage of scripture. And I'll say, this is what God's word tells us. That he is close to the brokenhearted. That he is in this moment with us. And when I get to this name, Emmanuel, I need you to know that he wants to reveal himself to you as God with you. That's what Jesus has done. He stepped into our suffering and he is the hope that you need. He's the hope that I need. He's the hope of the world. Let me close with this. I need you to understand this. Emmanuel isn't just a promise that we hold on to. It's a way we live moving forward. The fact that God is with us should change how we see problems. It should change how we see pain and loss it should change how we live. And listen, if you're not there, I don't want you to feel guilty or condemned. Like, I'm, not, I'm just not there. 
I haven't seen that. I'm just in the... If you're in that, turn to God. Ask him to show himself what's going on. Ask him to show himself strong on your behalf. Ask him to reveal himself in your pain. And I'm confident he will. See, when we get this and we understand that God is with us, we can actually go through hell or high water. We can, we can go into a furnace that's meant to kill us and destroy us and come out not even smelling like smoke. Come on, somebody. And you know what's amazing about this? Is a lot of times we know this stuff. A lot of times, this isn't the first message you've ever heard on Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe it is. I can't, I can't say that it's not. But for the most of us, if you've been to church any, any, at least one Christmas season, you've probably heard about Emmanuel. We know all this, and yet when the storm comes, we're like Peter on the water. Jesus, save me! But knowing Emmanuel's with us, it should change how we live. People should recognize there's something different about you. When you're going through a storm, people should be like, how, how do they do it? If that was me, I would be balled up on the ground crying. And, and then something's different and you get to say, it's because I'm hanging out with Emmanuel. God with us. Let me say to those in the room and online today, if you don't know Emmanuel like I've described him this morning, you can. Come on, somebody. You can know that God is with you right where you are. And it's, and it's really easy. All you and I need to do is ask Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. He's made it that simple. Well, don't I have to be a good person? Nope. Well, don't I have to stop this before I can come to Jesus? Nope. Well, if you knew what I did on the way here or what I'm about to do on the way home, you would, you would say, yeah, yeah, Jesus is going to say time out. No, no, no. Emmanuel means God with us. The beautiful thing about it is he doesn't leave us where he finds us. Come on, somebody. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you have a blessed week.